morning. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, for those of you who joined us in person, those of you who are with us online, we know that there are several of you as well. So thank you for being with us today. Special greeting to those of you who are here for the very first time. Uh, we hope that you have a good morning with us, that you're uh, inspired or at least feel the love of Lover's Lane while you're on our campus um, here at Lover's Lane, our mission is loving all people in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that you experience that this morning. Um, I'm doing pretty good, thanks for asking. Uh, I had a good Christmas. Who had a good Christmas uh, this week? Who had kind of a eh, Christmas? Who is super glad their family is gone? No, um, no don't, please don't raise your hand. That could get weird. There is live streaming. They might catch your hand on the camera. Um, so uh, I had a good Christmas. We gave our, uh, our three-year-old, almost three-year-old, uh, a big girl room. She moved into a big girl room for Christmas, which is exciting for her and tiring for her parents uh, because now, guess what? The person who is almost three gets to determine when bedtime is. That's super fun and cool because I have no control. I can't, like, force her to sleep right? Uh, so I am getting the gift of patience uh, this Christmas as like there are some nights where it's like 9.30. She's like, it's not dark out. I'm like, look with your eyes out the window. It is bedtime. Please go to bed. Um, and so that's, that's not going well. Um, and uh, so y'all can be praying for us uh, with that big first world problems there. My three-year-old's having a hard time sleeping in her own bed in her own room. So, um, you know, there you go. Uh, the other thing that's not going great is the Cowboys um, are probably going to win today uh, and go to the playoffs, which stinks. Why does that stink? Because Jason Garrett and Scott Linehan are going to get extended, and that is the worst. Uh, and if you think I'm wrong, I ask you this question. Are they going to win the Super Bowl? No, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. And then you're going to say, but Scott, what if they get a playoff win? Isn't that great? And I would say, who are we, the Texans? No, it's not great. We don't celebrate playoff wins in Dallas. We celebrate Super Bowls, and those two aren't going to get us there. So I am in a bad mood. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Oh, man. So we are going to read a scripture this morning that I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with. Some of us maybe are not. That's even better. Uh, this is, just so you know, we are still in the Christmas season. That's why the trees are up. We didn't just like get lazy and take everything down. Uh, in the Christian calendar, the season of Christmas continues after Christmas Day. It's actually when it begins, uh, and that runs through the Epiphany season. And so... Today we're going to talk about one of those Christmassy stories. This is when the shepherds are visited by the angels. And this will sound familiar if you've watched Charlie Brown's uh, Christmas special uh, or if you've, you know, ever read this part of Luke before. I guess that would also do it. So uh, this comes to us in Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. Uh, and before we read that, I want to pray over our scripture this morning uh, so that we can invite the Holy Spirit to join us in this time together. Gracious God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for a warm space, um, not only in terms of temperature, but also in terms of spirit. We give you thanks for this uh, community of faith that we get to uh, come home to. Um, maybe we come after the best week of our year. Maybe this was the hardest week in a really long time. We remember that the holidays are not always joyous for everybody. And so, God, if there are those with us for whom uh, leaving the holiday season is a very good thing, um, God, we are with them. And so, God, as we approach this scripture, whether it is the 1,000th time we've heard it or the very first time, allow it to leap off of the screens and off of the pages of our Bibles and into our hearts that it might change the way that we live. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so this begins in verse 8 of chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. You'll see it on the screens. 
It says this, In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the, angel, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of God for the people of God, let us say thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, and yes, in case you're wondering, I am preaching in traditional worship today as well. That is why I have a tie-on. That is always a dead giveaway. Someone asked earlier, ooh, you're dressed up. And I was like, think about it like you're going to big boy church. Okay, yeah, yeah, that is the case. So, um, but I am happy to be looking good this Christmas Sunday. So uh, let's talk about the scripture. This scripture um, is special to me. I really love this passage from the Bible. Uh, there's, a, there's a huge bunch of that that's wrapped up in nostalgia. When I was a kid growing up, um, every other Christmas, we would go to my grandparents, Mimi and Pops, uh, my mom's parents, uh, in Georgia and then in Mississippi, and we would spend Christmas with them, with all of my cousins. It was like this sort of small family reunion every single, other, every other Christmas, rather. And um, any Christmas we were with my mom's family, uh, before the kids could open their presents, we would all have to gather around the, the, the floor around Pops' big armchair. And, and before we could open presents, he would read to us from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And he would read the, the birth of Jesus and then the visit uh, from the angel to the shepherds. And that is how we always started off our Christmas morning. And it was really, really, I mean, the more I think about it, it's like this sort of Norman Rockwell kind of, kind of approach to, to childhood where you got, you know, this nice little warm fireplace going and all the cousins living around the floor with these, you know, unopened uh, Christmas uh, gifts and the gleaming Christmas tree and the soothing baritone wise voice of my grandfather. And I mean, it was just this perfect kind of moment. We heard these words washing over us and words that we'd heard so many times we just never grew tired of. And like, when I think about my life in those little moments, you know, there's little moments that if you could go back and just spend like a day just in that moment, wouldn't it be great? Like that's, those are the kind of moments that I think about. Just sweet and simple and serene. And it's kind of like what it sounds like the, the scene of the shepherds is. I mean, the, the, it's these shepherds laying in these fields. And anytime it's pictured, it's these rolling green hills. And, and the shepherds are laying down. And they, they look kind of like GQ models, you know. And they've got very well done hair. And, and, the, shepherd, and the sheep are laying very quietly. Because you count sheep to go to sleep. So they're probably sleeping, you know. And everything's just so peaceful. And then this beautiful angel appears, you know. And, and, and oh, they're terrified. But not for long because it's good news. And, 
and go and visit the family. And they go and visit this perfect little family. And then they go out and then they evangelize, right? And who doesn't love a good evangelism story, especially in the church, right? I should love preaching the scripture. This is a perfect scripture for us to preach from. This is the kind of scripture that I should preach a sermon that says, you know, hey, all your friends who are looking to go back to church with the start of the new year, this is the time to do it. Be like the shepherds. Go out and evangelize and bring them to church. And we'll sing, go tell it on the mountain, which we did earlier. It'll be perfect. And that's, that's not the sermon I've got this morning. I wish I had that sermon. I wish I had that sermon. You should still evangelize. You should still go and invite your friends back to church for the New Year's. And we sang Go Tell It on the Mountain. But that's not the kind of sermon that I've got this morning because this is not the story that I remember. It's not as simple and serene and as sweet as I remember. It's still good news. It's just not necessarily the good news that we expect. See, the gift of Scripture is that it's a living text. That's why we pray over it every single Sunday. Um, and I like to explain this because we've got new people all the time that don't know why we do that. We pray over Scripture because we believe it's a living text and that Scripture is more than just the words on the page. And as we encounter it, it's going to reveal something different to us maybe even every single time we read it. And we'll taste something new within these words. And so this past week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I'm not going to lie to you that I was preparing this sermon like months ago. No, I sat down on Thursday and hammered this thing out, right? Um, it's Christmas week. But as I sat down with this text this week, as I read over it on Thursday and on Friday and on yesterday, I, I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that this story is so much more than meets the eye. I couldn't stop thinking about how challenging this story is. The more that I took it seriously, it's a challenging story, and I want to tell you why. First thing I want to I talk about is uh, we make a mistake when we read Scripture totally isolated, you know, one verse at a time, right? It can be very easy to open up the Bible and read a verse and go, ah, I know what that means, and, and, but you don't, right? If I were to do that and I were just to read the shepherd story by itself, it would lose so much of its meaning because it's part of a larger story. It's part of the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of Luke really is part of a larger story called the Bible. And, you know, guess what people didn't have in the early days of Christianity. They didn't have a nice little leather-bound Bible to carry around in their back pocket, right? They didn't have those things. If you were lucky, you had some scrolls of some sacred texts. Maybe you had a library if you were really wealthy, but the average person didn't have any of that. And the way you told stories was verbally. You would share them verbally, and you would hear storytellers. They would come and visit and tell you stories verbally, and they would tell the whole thing in one sitting. And so the Gospel of Luke would have been something that you went and sat down and heard someone tell you from start to finish. That changes the way that you hear the story of the shepherds. Because the story of the shepherds has a lot to do with the story that comes in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke. The shepherds are in chapter 2. In chapter 1, Luke introduces us to begin his gospel about Jesus Christ. He introduces us not to anyone in Jesus' family directly, but to a man named Zechariah, who would be Jesus' uncle. And Zechariah... Uh, was visited in the temple. He was this priest. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He was this, this priest. He was in the temple. He was doing all of his typical religious altar kind of things. And, uh, and then this angel shows up and tells him that John the Baptist has been conceived, that, that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a child, and it's going to be John the Baptist. And, and Zechariah reacts in this same way as the shepherds. He's terrified at first. But unlike the shepherds, Zechariah doesn't believe the angel. He challenges the angel. He says, now, wait a second. What do you, I don't think my wife can be pregnant. She's way too old. You know, it's sort of like an Abraham-Sarah thing. He, she's way too old. My wife can't possibly be pregnant. And, and we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. What we didn't talk about, though, is after the angel leaves Zechariah, because he didn't believe, Zechariah 
is mute. He can't talk. Can't tell anybody. He walks out of the temple, and he's trying to give them signs. And everyone thinks that, you know, oh, he's seen something amazing, but they can't figure out what it is. He can't tell anyone that his son is going to be born, that his son is going to usher in the way of the Messiah, that his son is going to be the second most important person in all of history, possibly. Right? He can't say any of that. He's mute because he didn't believe. He challenged. He pushed back. The shepherds, on the other hand, see, when we read their story in light of Zechariah, the shepherds, they're terrified, but then they believe the angel. They do everything the angel asks them to. And they're not exactly priests, are they? Think about shepherds. I mean, shepherds work in the fields. They work with sheep. They don't get to go and take a shower every single day. They're low-born people. This is not a, a revered job. This is a, this is a low st social status kind of job. And they probably stink of sheep and soil. And yet they believe the angel. They follow the angel's every instruction. And they get to serve as the very first evangelists for Jesus. Think about that. Not the priests in the temple, but the shepherds in the field. Now, as a preacher, I find this to be a challenging passage. I find that to be a challenging part of the story. My job is to stand in temples and share the good news, right? And in fact, in, in Protestant Christianity, we believe that all of us are in ministry together, that we, we believe in this priesthood of all believers. All of us share this responsibility to preach the good news, and all of us find ourselves in the temple. And Luke is telling me, and he's telling us, the good news might not actually be coming from the temple. The good news might be coming from the field. Christ's arrival silences the priest. And instead, the good news is proclaimed by the lowly and the poor and the people of sheep and soil and not the holier than thou in our ties and sweaters. Luke reminds us that the overtly religious do not have a monopoly on divine revelation. In fact, the best thing we can do this Christmas season might just be shutting our mouths and listening instead for the hallelujahs that we can hear out in the fields. So every year we get to celebrate at Lover's Lane, this event called Everybody's Christmas. And some of you got to celebrate it for the very first time this past year. Uh, if this was your first year to be in Everybody's Christmas... Can you raise your hand? Cool. Very good. If this was like your, you've done it before, maybe 10 times or even more. You know, if you've done it before, raise your hand. Yeah? Very good. And if you've never done it before, raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise. I hope you do it next year. It's amazing. We, we call this the best night of the year at Lover's Lane. Um, it, it, what it is, is it's this night when we have this huge worship service, and we do a big, full, sit-down meal. This year, we had Sonny Brian's barbecue, and, uh, and then we have all of these gifts that we give, because what we do is we invite in uh, hundreds of Dallasites who are experiencing homelessness, and we invite in, this year, we had another 150 uh, men who were, who were formerly incarcerated and their families, uh, and then we invited in, again, some additional ministries from different er other areas in Dallas, and we packed this room out. We had over 600 people in here. Don't tell the fire marshal, right? Uh, it, it, was, it was a fantastic night. We've been doing this for almost a decade now, or maybe we've been doing it a decade. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, and, but it's fantastic. And when I first came to this church in December of 2010, um, I came, and, this, and everybody's Christmas was the very first church-wide event I ever attended, right? Imagine that being your introduction to Lover's Lane, 
right? Like, if you're here for the very first time this Sunday, this is going to be okay. This sermon's, yeah, I'd say a B plus, a solid B plus sermon, but it's not everybody's Christmas, right? Like, I don't pretend to, to, to think that everybody's Christmas is like a best night of the year kind of experience. That was my introduction to the church. And I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'll confess something to you. I walked in that night thinking to myself, man, how great is it that a big, nice, rich church like ours is helping people like them? Isn't that nice? I did. That's, that's what went through my head. And what's amazing is how I stood convicted that night as I'm standing there in the worship service and I'm witnessing people that don't need us to be their savior. Right? I'm witnessing a room full of people who know their savior and are worshiping their hearts out. And that's the first time that I realized, if anything, our guests are helping us. You know, when I got to Lover's Lane, I had forgotten how to worship, really. I grew up in the church, and I'd done all the churchy things, but I'd gotten kind of tired of it all, and I was, I'd gotten kind of lazy and complacent in, in, in my faith, and so I'd forgotten kind of how to worship, and I'd forgotten how to find joy simply in, in being in God's presence. And, and then I was feeling pretty down on myself, too. I'd had a rough couple of months by my standards, right? First world pains. And then I walked into the room at everybody's Christmas, and, and, and I got to tell you, I was, I was a 22-year-old who didn't know how to worship, and that night, that room taught me how to worship. And, and that night, I witnessed people more in love with God than I had seen in a room in over a year. In years, I witnessed people who found more joy in the presence of God in that room than I had seen in years. I, had, I found people who were more sold out to serving their Savior than I maybe had seen ever before. And here I thought that we were bringing the good news to them. Have you ever been guilty of thinking this when you're engaged in an act of service? That night, I, I, was, I was shut up just like Zechariah was. I was made mute. God made me watch and listen. God shut me up in the best possible way so that I could see that the spirit of faith was more alive in the prison cell and in the homeless shelter than in my own religious heart. Yeah. Have you ever known that to be true? Have, did you see that at everybody's Christmas? Did you realize that the spirit of God might be more alive at Austin Street Shelter than in our churches? Amen. The shepherds challenge us to listen and to watch for the good news in the field in the sheep, and in the soil. Because the gospel might not be coming out of the temple, folks. It might be coming from the pasture. The second challenge that I see comes in the good news that the angel offers to the, to the shepherds. Angel tells the shepherds that Jesus is, and I'm going to quote this, Jesus is the Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. A Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, like I said, we hear words so many times that they begin to sort of lose their meaning, right? There are passages from the Bible that we've read so many times, we kind of forget what they mean. These are words that we have heard so many times in church that we forget that these are not simple, sweet, nice words. These seem like natural things to call Jesus as Christians today. But we need to remember that what the angel is saying, that Jesus is a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. These are terribly provocative words. The Gospel of Luke does this funny thing, because Luke is something of an upstart himself, where it blends the lines between faith 
and politics, between religion and politics. It does this throughout the the Gospel of Luke, and he certainly begins to do so here. Let me explain why. The titles of Savior and Lord in Greek, these were titles that would only have been bestowed upon really great kings, even a Caesar, you might say, like a Caesar who was ruling over the province of Israel where they were in these times. And the title of Messiah, right, the Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord, the title of Messiah had obvious implications for religious Jews, right? The Messiah was the long-awaited prophetic uh, person that, that God was bringing to the Jewish people. And, you know, we have a tendency today to want to separate totally the worlds of religion and politics. And I think for good reason in many ways. You know, in America, we are built upon this bedrock principle of separation of church and state. I'm not saying that shouldn't be the case. Um, But I think that we sometimes misinterpret that sentiment to mean something personally that it does not. That personally, we should have the worlds of politics and faith never interact. That the Venn diagrams should never touch. And that's just not the case. Don't worry. By the way, I'm not about to take a left turn and make the rest of this like a political speech. Okay, This is the week after Christmas. I know this. Okay, Bear with me. I'm going somewhere. Reading this passage this week, it, it, it convicted me and it challenged me in a way that I needed to hear. When the shepherds are tasked with proclaiming the good news to all people, when they're tasked with proclaiming that Jesus Christ is a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, knowing what these words mean, it would put them at odds with the political leaders of their day. Saying Jesus is Savior and Lord was going to get them in trouble with the Roman authorities. And saying Jesus is the Messiah, the Pharisees were not going to like that shepherds thought they were the first to know, right? When you're in charge, you don't want some young upstart out in the field telling you they know something you don't. And here's a challenge I think that we can all receive. I don't care your political persuasion. There are times, hear me clearly, there are times when our faith ought to put us at odds with our political and religious structures. Now, that's a really seminary way to put that. Let me put it some way different. If we follow Jesus, we are going to tick off our political party and churchy folk a lot. Think about that. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or Green Party or Bernie-crat or whatever, Beto-crat. There's too many crats now. I can't keep track of which crat there is now. Uh, I don't care if you consider yourself super churchy or not. If you follow Jesus, wholeheartedly follow Jesus, you are going to tick off your political party, not the opposition. We love doing that. We love ticking off the other political party. You're going to tick off your political friends and your churchy church friends from time to time if you follow Jesus the right way. Because the culture of politics and the culture of acting religious are not the culture of Christ. They are cultures built upon power, power that is held by people. The culture of Christ is built upon the power held by God. There are times when those things are going to conflict. They just won't always line up. The gospel of Luke will not allow us to leave our faith and our politics separated. But it's not just enough to say that Jesus is a political person. I hear theologians and pastors try to reduce Jesus down to a political figure, that that's his primary purpose is to be this political person, and I don't think that's true, especially because when we talk about Jesus as a political person, we tend to do so as though he is in support of our political preferences, yeah? Jesus would be a Republican. Jesus would be a Democrat, right? You've heard this before. I think that even more than being political, Jesus is something better. Jesus is engaged. Jesus is engaged. He's engaged in the world around him. 
He does not exist in a land without Caesars and without Pharisees. In fact, the Gospel of Luke tells us in the very beginning of chapter 1 who is in charge. He places the story of Jesus within the power structures of the time. Jesus exists in the real world, and guess what? In the real world, politics and power plays exist. And as Christians, we can't grow apathetic to that. It's hard, because I know as Christians, we would love to detach. But you know where that road leads you if you say, oh, I don't really care about politics. I don't really want to be, I don't want to talk about that. I, want to, I, don't, want to be in, I don't want to be interested in that kind of things. I don't deal with those kind of social things. Well, if you continue to disengage and disengage and disengage from the world around you, guess what you become? Amish. I can say that because they're not watching me right now. Or if you are, you're busted. Busted. Got you. Got you, Amish. I got you. Now listen, I'm not going to pretend for one second that I know how God is asking you to vote or who to support or when to march or what to cheer for. Um, What I do know is that Christ is Savior and Messiah and Lord, and I cannot, and we cannot proclaim those titles without knowing what they mean, that Jesus informs everything in our lives and will not allow anything to be untouched by our faith. I'm going to say that one again. Jesus wants to be Lord and Savior and Messiah over everything in our lives and will allow nothing to be untouched by our faith. A church that is unwilling to discuss politics in light of faith is a church that cannot proclaim Jesus as Lord. It's a political statement. A church that has forgotten how to have holy conversations about difficult subjects is a church that has forgotten that Jesus is Savior. He's bigger than us and our problems. And a church that turns a blind eye to its own shortcomings is a church that is unable to witness Christ as Messiah. Now, if those statements bother you, good. They bother me. There are some preachers that love getting up and and poking the bear and and delivering messages that they know are going to be challenging. That's not always me. A lot of times I'd rather preach a message that's just kind of nice. I'd like church to be a nice place full of nice people talking about nice things where everybody just gets along. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? That's not the kind of church that Jesus is here to build. Luke is asking us to start a revolution, not a revolution born of swords and banners, but a revolution of love. A love so strong that it permeates everything and everyone and leaves everything and everyone changed. I'm not saying that we should bring political divisions into the church. Hear me clearly, church. I'm not saying we should bring political divisions into the church. I'm saying we could invite the love of God into our political divisions. I'm not saying that we should shout political messages at our neighbor in the name of Jesus. Right? That always helps. I'm saying we could allow Jesus to speak a challenging truth into our own political persuasions. That's a lot harder to do. And I'm not suggesting that preachers should wag their fingers and direct their parishioners how to vote. I'm saying that the body of Christ, the preacher included, but the body of Christ has an obligation to engage in the world around us and to speak truth to power. Now, we did sing Go Tell It on the Mountain earlier. And I do think you should invite your friends to come back to church to start the new year. This series, we've been talking about the Christmas story in light of the angels showing up saying, do not fear, and what they're asking us to do because the Christmas story is actually full of things that should make us afraid and could make us afraid. And in this story, the shepherds are told by the angel, do not fear, and they are sent to go and proclaim good news from the mountaintops. But after our time with the shepherds this week, 
I want you to come with me onto the mountaintop. Figuratively speaking, we are in Dallas. Come with me onto the mountaintop and consider what it is that we're being asked to proclaim because maybe it's not as simple and sweet as we wish. Do you hear the angel telling us, go tell it on the mountain. God is not in the temple. He is with the people. Go tell it on the mountain. The poor will lead the rich in the way of the Lord. Go tell it on the mountain. The loud will be made quiet, and the quiet will speak up. Go tell it on the mountain. The people of soil and sheep will teach you to sing. Go tell it on the mountain. The power of God knows no border or boundary. Go tell it on the mountain. A revolution is beginning. It's a revolution of love. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is born. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is a savior. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is Lord. And then listen. See, the cool thing about mountains is they're a great place to talk and they're a great place to listen. You can hear a lot on a mountaintop. And so what do you hear? Whose voice is rising up? What good news reaches your ears this Christmas? Is it comforting? Is it challenging? It is Christmas time. Christmas is a good time to listen. It's a time to sing. It's a time for old traditions and a time for new understandings. It's a time that changes everything. And now the angel appears to us. Do not be afraid. What good news do you hear? What good news do you have to proclaim? Because it is Christmas. And Jesus is here, and God's love will challenge and change us in every way. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your message for us this morning, your message from these shepherds. God, how many times do we sit comfortably in our churches? And we forget that your story did not begin in a church. Your story has always been with the people. God, would you humble our hearts? Let this next year be a year where we can be brought low for you. Where we can begin to see people around us, not as people to be helped but people to be in relationship with, maybe people who have something to offer to us that we didn't see before. God, let us not only be comfortable with those who wear crisp white robes and do all the proper churchy things. God, let us go out into places of sheep and soil to find your messengers there, to hear what they have to say for us and for our lives. God, convict us of our apathy, of our desire to take our faith and to take you and to compartmentalize it.
to put you in a box, to contain you in a way that doesn't allow you to spill out into all of our life. God, allow us to release your presence within us, to invite your spirit within us so that it could permeate everything and leave us changed, God. When we come back to this place a year from now, let us look back and, and, and know how different we were, how much you've been at work in our lives. God, give us the courage to speak up, especially to those in power. And God, give us the wisdom to listen, especially when speaking is the thing we want to do most. God, we thank you for the shepherds. We thank you for their humility, for their courage and conviction. We thank you for the good news, challenging it may be, the good news they offer us today. All this we pray in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.